Her selfless mother, Euphra Mason, was her linchpin and her true north. Martha's life became hers. They shared a world that might have been a strictured and sterile one, but was instead so full of friends and visitors and ideas and laughter and endless, endless talk that the old house fairly bubbled with it like a cauldron. Martha hosted a book club, a supper club, wrote newspaper and magazine articles. There seemed no stopping the two Mason women. But then her beloved father suffered a stroke, and her mother, submerged in his care, no longer had time for dictation. Martha wrote for decades only in her head. After her father died, Euphra Mason became someone her daughter had never known. Many strokes tipped her into a dementia. Once her greatest support, her mother now gave Martha rage, abuse, and physical pain. Inside her yellow submarine, Martha Mason became afraid for the first time in her life of her mother. She also became abruptly the head of her household. She managed its affairs, handled all the transactions with the caretakers, who were her constant companions, balanced budgets, ordered supplies, and groceries. She also found, with the help of her beloved doctor, a medication that helped turn her angry mother into a biddable, sweet-tempered child. Now she cared not only for her home and herself, but for her mother, too. It was a great effort, a dark time. Shouldering such loads without the catharsis of writing plunged her into a long night— and then friends led her to acquire a voice-activated computer with internet access and email capability. For Martha, it was rebirth. And when the words came pouring out again, they were about and for her mother. Martha began a love song to the most extraordinary woman she would ever know. And along the way, other threads began to creep in. The luminous childhood she wanted to recapture— the rhythm of her own life in the everlasting arms of the iron lung. As a novelist, I know that there is no such thing as an ordinary life. All lives shimmer and pulse with particularity, with richness and texture. The life laid down in the pages of breath is heart-stirring, transcendent, brimming with love and humor and intelligence, and often what Martha called her sheer orneriness— with courage and an utter lack of self-pity and an earthy appetite for the joy that she wrested from her life. Her devotion to her friends and theirs to her sings on every page. Her loving, impatient, and wildly funny taming of some of her caretakers into heart friends is the stuff of human comedy at its best. The breath of a fine writer stirs each page. Martha Mason died in May 2009 in her sleep, in the steel arms that had held her for so long. She is deeply mourned by both friends and readers who never met her except in the pages of this book. But in a very real way, it is an almost negligible death. This woman is indelibly alive in the hearts of many thousands. Wherever they are, she is. Martha Mason is a durable fire. Anne Rivers Siddons, September 2009 Part 1. Chapter 1. Living on the edge when you don't know tea from turnips. 
What's Edison going to wear today? Melissa calls from Mother's room on a spring morning in 1998. Mrs. Mason's dressing up in her mint green. He should wear his green and white dress then, I say. Edison wears dresses as well as shirts and pants. He's a doll, and in Mother's world he is as real as her own flesh and blood. Once I asked her the doll's name, she looked straight at me and without a moment's hesitation replied, Why, he's Edison. She's never referred to the doll by name again, but the rest of us do. Her conversations with him keep her happily occupied for hours. She shows him birds and flowers. She calls his attention to a kitten playing in the yard or to a butterfly hovering above the upturned face of a dandelion. She reads to him about clumsy bears, pokey puppies, and cats.